Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we are talking with Sabby Dillon. Um, she is the creator of the Beautifully Broken blog. She also has a YouTube channel and a podcast that you can check out. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you so much for being here, Sabi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We are so excited to chat with you. Um, so we kind of like to start each of our conversations, um, just by asking if you can give us a brief overview of your mental health journey. Okay. All right. Sounds super simple. Um, so let's Not see. I know. Simple, but it's going to be an an interesting story, that's for sure. Um, So uh, I was born and raised in Orange County, um, and I'm the oldest of three. And my depression started when I was 13. So it was like right in between puberty and being a young, like adolescent sort of, and trying to discover myself. Um, But at the same time, my family life was a little chaotic. My parents were fighting all the time. They were having marital issues. And then I was always being the one as the oldest child trying to protect my two younger siblings from the chaos. So in a sense, I actually developed codependency very early on without knowing it. Um, So that was my beginning as a young teenager. When I was 13, uh, still the same age I had, I was also being bullied at school by just boys, not by girls. Um, and I'd come home. So I'd be like bullied at school and then I'd come home. And, then, you know, when parents have a difficult relationship, they don't know how to act and put their stuff away in front of their children. Right. So they take it out on us, unfortunately. Um, not any crazy, weird way, just, you know, emotional abuse in a very indirect way. So I got it from both ends of the spectrum growing up. And I, my sense of identity, I didn't have one as a kid. I just didn't know who I was. I knew that I was different. I knew that I felt feelings a lot more intensely than other kids, but I didn't understand why that was. Um, And at that point, I got into a really dark hole and I started having suicidal idealizations. Um, I remember as a kid looking up ways to do that without it being painful. And the way that my parents found out that I had depression was when I had these idealizations, I'd write le- goodbye letters because essentially I was planning. And so I wrote a stack of letters to each person in my family, my brother, sister, mom, dad, and then my grandmother on my mom's side was living with us at the time. And my grandmother was doing laundry one day and she went to go put laundry away. She was like, oh, that's interesting pulls them out, starts reading them. And then immediately both my parents were like, okay, Sabby needs some help. Um, But to them, because I didn't understand mental health at that point that long ago, it was like, okay, let's go get you to a doctor and they'll put you on medication and you'll be fine. Um, 
and I was on Lexapro for a little bit. So I was on that for a few years up until 16, 17. And the depression never really went away because I was just putting a bandaid over it as opposed to healing what was going on. Um, and then at 16, I had my first little relationship and I had my heart broken. And then the suicidal depression thoughts came back again because it was triggering something. And uh, at that point, I had my first attempt, actual attempt at like 16, 17. And I remember being in the bathroom and my brother at this point is like eight years old. We're eight years apart. And the door is closed. And as I was about to essentially take my own life, my little brother knocks on the door and says, Sabby, Sabby, do you want to play video games with me? Mm -hmm. And it stopped me in the middle of what I was doing. And I just went, oh, my God, I can't leave. You know, this little guy needs me. And so I was fine for a while after that, went to college. Um, college for me was an escape. So when I went to college, I was ecstatic. I'm like, great, I can leave my toxic family household and just live my own life. Um, but when I got there, you know, freshman year was fun and all that. Same thing, though. I, I was running away emotionally and mentally from what had happened to me in my childhood so, you know, when you go to college, you're going to experiment with drugs and drinking and partying. And so that was thrown into the mix and that became dangerous for me because I got a little too, <laughs> I would say a little too curious about not feeling unhappy. I just wanted to feel normal and happy and excited and outgoing all the time because I was quite reserved. Um, and then 19, when I was 19, I had four severe traumas happen to me. Um, at the beginning of, I don't know, I don't know how old, like what year it was when I was 19, but sophomore year, uh, I was 19 years old and let's see, February, my dad actually nearly passed away from a life-threatening surgery. Um, so that was tough because I had to go to USC hospital all the time and sit there and be there for him because no one else was there for him. My mom had divorced my father as well near that time he had just gotten better and then that happened and then my grandfather who was like my best buddy he passed away mm -hmm. and then after that was my birthday and I ended up getting stood up on my birthday and that was incredibly traumatic you know because I just had all these other things happen and I was looking forward to at least having a good time and I was just a puddle and a mess on the floor of my 19th birthday or yeah 19th birthday turning 19 that year um, and then after that, I ended up being sexually assaulted a few months later because I was just by twice by two people that I know. So I was sexually assaulted. Then the guy who came and rescued me from that said situation then did the same thing. And so at 19, that year for me was so awful. And so then partying became more of a really bad, just downward spiral. And I became a person I didn't recognize um, and then after that, like junior, senior year, I went, all right, I got to graduate. If I don't graduate, I'm not going to get out of here. So I got it together, stopped partying, uh, stopped hanging around bad people and just sucked it up and graduated. And then at 23, um, this, I'm about like a year. I think I was, I stayed in Whittier. I went to Whittier college. I stayed there for about a year and then I came home. So 23, I got into fitness and nutrition. And for me, that was like a godsend because that helped me work through a lot of stuff. And it was a way for me to get healthy, but I still wasn't dealing with my stuff emotionally. 
I was no longer on Lexapro or medication at this point. I had been off of it for years. Um, and at 23, I still, I was okay. I, I got better. I got the help that I needed in a different way. Um, and then recently in 2019, I actually went and got help help. And that was because July 4th of 2009, sorry. That was because of uh, July 4th of 2019, I actually tried to take my own life at a party. And my ex, now ex-boyfriend, but boyfriend at the time, kindest, sweetest man ever. Um, super like Southern gentleman, just a really sweet dude. He didn't understand poor guy, what was happening. I was having like a full blown breakdown in the bathroom, but this, is this was from after drinking and smoking some weed and not, you know, I was really stuffing down my emotions and I had known that my depression was coming back. And I'd very recently started talking to a guy friend of mine right before that day. And he just talking to him, if he listens to this, his name is Nathan, um, just talking to him helped me realize that I wasn't alone in my depression. And so then like weeks later, when I went to that 4th of July party, you know, drink a lot and and your emotions come out when that happens. Whatever you've stuffed, stuffed down will just come right back up. And so then that night, yeah, I tried to take my own life. And then and again, my little brother came into the picture. <laughs> I was I was in the bathroom, uh, just just bathrooms, apparently bathrooms. And then my brother like intervening um I was in the bathroom about to you know take my own life again and my brother facetimes me out of nowhere this is like the fourth of July and he sees me just sobbing and he goes oh my god what's happening and I told him I just want to die over and over and over again that's why I kept repeating and he talked me down from it and he goes Sabby because you can't I go no I can't do it anymore he goes, no. He goes, what's our family motto? I go, Dylan's never give up. He goes, yeah, so you can't do it. He goes, I still need you around. And, you know, he just really talked me down. The next day, my brother told my entire family, my mom, my dad, brother, sister, brother, my mom, my dad, and my sister, uh, hey, Sabby's, this is real. This isn't an attention thing. This isn't temporary. She really needs some help. And then at that point, my dad found a place called Onsite in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I went there and that place changed my life. I, I actually got the help that I needed because I was able to heal from my trauma. I went to a place called Trauma Healing. I went to, I went to their Trauma Healing Retreat at Onsite. And when I came back, I realized I had PTSD. I had no idea. Um, and that my anxiety and depression were symptoms of PTSD. Mm. And that is when I started Beautifully Broken because I went, you know what? How many other people out there are struggling with what I am and don't have the right tools? Um, they just keep putting a Band-Aid over situations instead of dealing with it. So that's been my journey. That's my little synopsis. Thank you oh for God. sharing. Yeah, yeah of course. Really deep stuff and we say this a lot, but honesty and like openness are so important and like vulnerability. So mm. thank you. Of so course. Much. Yeah. I feel like if my, st if someone resonates with it, they know that there's hope, you know? Exactly. It's the, it's truly that whole, you are not alone feeling where, you know, we want people to know that they are not alone. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I really like what you, um, keep saying about the whole band-aid thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a roommate 
last year, um, who was like one of the most influential people in my life. Um, she really like helped me kind of like open up and like Mm -hmm. understand a lot about myself. Um, she was at the time that we met, she was five years sober. Um, and she would like talk a lot about like sobriety and how it was more of, um, a more, it had to do more with like the soul and like Mm -hmm. fixing the soul and how, um, when she was really like going through it, um, she would talk about how for the longest time she would, she would have these band-aids for bullet holes. Yeah. Like the fixes that she was trying to like do were these really short term fixes. Yeah. Yeah. I just resonated with that a lot. So I really like when people say that it just, it's true. I mean, it's true. It's like for a long time, I thought, and there's, I don't, I believe that, you know, if you need medication, you need it. Sometimes you need it to heal from what's going on because your emotions might be so extreme. You just can't handle the day to day. Um, but for me, it became a very unhealthy coping mechanism because mm-hmm. I just knew right away. I was like, I don't feel anything. You know, for me, it was different. I just couldn't feel anything. I wasn't dealing with anything. I just thought, okay, well, I'm taking medication. <laughs> My problems are solved. And uh, even when I went to therapy, I'd like lie to the therapist, like, yeah, I feel great, Karen. Everything's fine. I'm doing well. And she was like, okay. But then it'd come back. And so until I until I went to onsite and, and realized like my past stories and everything that I had been through is what I need to look back at. And that can be some of the most terrifying things to do because you don't want to look back there. You're going, Oh God, I went through all that. <laughs> I have to go, I got to go all the way back and look at those very, very painful events. But that's mm-hmm. what I advocate so heavily on my page is just going through this path, any experience, because otherwise it will be just like a bandaid. They'll just keep doing something to cope with it. And the more you cope with it, the less you're going to heal from it. And then it's just a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, you have to really walk through the fire to come out on the other side. Yeah. yeah. Like a Phoenix. Exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, and, and, I like that uh, you started to talk about medication a little bit because, um, you know, we see that so much that people start taking medication Mm -hmm. and they don't see results. And they think that like the issue is that just the medication isn't working or like medication maybe doesn't work for them. But Mm -hmm. um, we also know that, you know, often the best results are when medication um, and therapy are used together. Yeah. Uh, for that healing. So um, I don't know what your experience has been with that specifically, but can you talk a little bit about like the narrative therapy mm-hmm. um, that you do and then maybe how that has worked with or maybe without uh, um, Medicaid? So for me, I just, I, I went completely off of it just because I had a nasty habit of using substances to cope. So for mm-hmm. me, I was like, can't do that. Um but uh, if I need it, I'll take it. Like very recently, oh God, five months ago, I went through an awful breakup and my anxiety was just through the roof. I mean, I couldn't function. So at that point, I did have to take something temporarily to just kind of get me through. But I was still working on my narrative therapy and going, all right, I need to 
deal with my stuff. It just gave me space to do it. Um, that's why I feel sometimes medication is necessary. In that case, it was. I couldn't, literally couldn't go to work. I wasn't sleeping. Like, I was, and I run like our family business. So I have like, I was like, I gotta have my head in the game. If I don't, then, you know, this is, it's very important. So, um, but with narrative therapy, and I didn't know what I was doing was narrative therapy actually until a month ago. Someone told me, they're like, yeah. Like you take a narrative approach to it. I go, okay, cool. Now I know what it is. At first I was just thinking, okay, um, my logic with it is I look back at, let's say, for example, my childhood upbringing and I go, Mm -hmm. all right, this is the story that I know, right? And my story is valid. But when your emotions are very heightened in that story, in that past scenario, it's very difficult to understand the reality of what's really going on. Um, I just saw like my parents were taking their crap out on me and making me feel small. I didn't see, okay, wait, their parents probably taught them that. And that's how they're acting with me because they don't know how else to deal with other situations around them. Um, So for me, the narrative approach is looking at not only my narrative, but my parents' narratives and how that might influence me and how my upbringing was so different and like theirs I very recently did a family map of my side my side my dad's side my mom's side and then my grandparents and then my siblings and I looked at the similarities of everything and uh, I looked at the similarities between me being sexually assaulted and I was like wait a second my mom was too I was like okay there's that correlation my dad struggled with binge drinking and I was like okay well I did too so looking at that narrative too for me it's looking at your you gotta go deep like when you and you see all all the little pieces together then you can start to put together a real story because um also with our narratives we convince ourselves of what happened and it's not what happened you know it may be we may be either minimizing it or it may be incredibly extreme but then we take a step back, we can see like what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the approach that I take. It's very easy that when something traumatic happens to you, you can just get sucked into it and you don't understand the big picture and what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You just, you're just identifying those experiences, those feelings, those traumas, and it's very hysterical. Um, and you could be responding later on to something really small that might be similar to that but in a very big way and you don't understand why, like someone could tell you something really small, like savvy, I don't like your dress today. And maybe in my brain, I'm relating it to when I was bullied. And so my reaction is going to be big and giant when it's not really that person. It's what's in the past. So So do you do that with the therapist or do you, is this something practice that you've, um, that you work on yourself? Honestly, I've worked on it myself because I didn't know how else to figure it out. I When I went to onsite, they gave me the tools. They're yeah. like, okay, here's the hammer nail screwdriver. And I went, okay, what the heck am I going to build? <laughs> like, how do I, I'm like, how do I put this together with what works for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I've, I came up with it as I went, okay, I got to look into my past and dive deep and find my own narrative as opposed to the one that I was always told or convinced that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's not minimizing my traumas at all. It's looking at what 
really occurred. And um, so, yeah, I, I did it myself. And I my dad always used to tell me, he's like, you're like crazy smart. You think of things like 12 things ahead, but you don't understand other people haven't caught up yet. And so when I explain things, like I'll just explain what's like 12 steps ahead and I forget. I'm like, wait, I have to backtrack. Anything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to walk people through your process. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I've started to try to do now with um, my YouTube channel. My podcast is, is kind of take a step back and go, all right, I really need to do it step by step by step because mm-hmm. sometimes what I might understand someone else may not understand or if I say in a certain way or certain language they won't really understand it uh because we're not we don't all think the same mm-hmm. so I really now at this point I've taken it to like a super basic level I had one that like one video that was so deep and so far-fetched I went yeah okay that's good and then when like people were watching it like can you we have like so many questions can you do this 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 and this okay yeah see now I see <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about on-site and what that looked like, what the programming oh, yeah. was like, and what else you learned there? Oh, if that, honestly, it's expensive to go there, um, but it was worth every penny. Um, so basically, what happened was, uh, initially, they send you a questionnaire. They say, talk about all the painful events that you've gone through in your life. And I didn't list all of them. In fact, at the start, I minimized them. And... I only applied to, they have a different program called Living Centered. And that's just simply for like people who have lost their way in life and need to find themselves again. Do um, You also still understand family dynamics and how that works, but not at such a deep level with the trauma healing retreat. Um, so then they called me back and they go, hey, honey, you should probably go to the trauma healing. I go, what? <laughs> they go, yeah, I think that'd be better suited. So when I got there, um, as odd as this sounds, it was the very first time I traveled alone, alone, without a friend, without a family member, just completely by myself. Um, so that in itself was a lot of anxiety. And I got there and you get onto this bus, you don't know anyone. At nice bus, you know, nothing. You get into this bus, you don't know anyone. They take you to a place called Cumberland Furnace, which is a really nice, like very green area. And when you get there, you're not allowed to tell people your last name, what you do for a job, um, and you can't use your phones, no technology, no computers, no TVs, absolutely nothing. In fact, you turn your phone in the first day you get there. So I had a second to like tell my family, hey, I'm not going to use my phone for a week. And um, when I did, I noticed right away that any moment that I was uncomfortable, that's what I would go to. So it forces you to not be distracted. So when you get there, you're with like, God, 60 other people. And I mean, like celebrities go here, musicians. I had a famous musician in my group. And I couldn't say that I knew him because they. the first thing they said is, if you see someone you know, you're not allowed to like go, oh my God, <laughs> I love your work. Because they're there to also disconnect and deal with their own stuff. So when I saw that musician, I like flipped out. And right away, um, when you're in this group setting, they pass on the microphone, they go, why are you here? And it got to me, I already broke down in tears. I was like, I just, I I don't want to, I want to appreciate my life. I don't want to be stuck in a hole anymore. 
Um, and then the next day they break you off into smaller groups and you start your group therapy. Um, you have group therapy with your smaller groups. And then you also have, you know, every so often, every day you reconnect with everyone else. Um, and it was amazing to see because you saw people really being authentic with each other without having these labels, without having money or status or their last name or their phone thrown into anything. You just had to really be there. And uh, facing my traumas was maybe one of the most scary things, but I did it. And there, at one point they had, there was a time where you had to write a trauma timeline. And for me, it was, I think I went the second day. So I had watched other people go first and I had this idea in my head that I, I didn't belong there. I don't know if my traumas are big enough. But then when I presented my traumas, you know, the timeline, I saw other people's reactions. And to me, that's when I realized, oh, no, this is real. For a long time, I convinced myself that those traumas were this small, like teeny tiny. And, that you know, every, someone else could have it worse. But, um, yeah, it opened my eyes. So then after that, I, I got when I got my phone back, I didn't even want to look at it. I was like, no, I don't want to. And uh it was just such an eye-opening experience. They really, they really walk you through um, childhood, uh, childhood dynamics, um, family upbringing. It was a bunch of stuff. Oh, God, and then PTSD was the most prominent uh, subject there, just because no one, no one felt like they were qualified enough to have PTSD. We kind of relate it to, oh, you've been to war, you're a veteran, and therefore, you know, that qualifies as being PTSD-ridden, and it's not. Um, so that was the majority of it as well. Wow. It sounds like uh, it's it's being around other people that are, you're being authentic, and you're really exploring yeah. all of yeah. the different um trauma that's happened and the impact it's had that's that's awesome yeah you don't it's like you don't have a choice you have to show up as yourself and if you don't they they would some my therapist would gently call people out in our group if they weren't being authentic or if they if he noticed that they were minimizing their emotions he had a way of really pushing you without pushing you um with me i do this thing where i just i thought something was fun like i'd laugh to minimize my pain. Um, at one point I was angry at something someone in my past did to me. And he, he took like the soft foam bat and like a foam little block. And he's like, okay, just, you know, beat the crap out of it. I go, and I just started laughing. I'm like, no. And so when I started beating that crap out of it, he's like, that's how you don't look like you're genuinely mad. I went, oh, okay. You're right. Cause I was so convinced of, of what other people think about me. I wasn't in the moment. So then I had to break out of that. Yeah. It's uh you, you, you put such a, a shell around yourselves a lot of time to protect yourself and it, taking that shell away and being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. is so hard. It is the very is I, to me. Vulnerability is the most key thing. And I, I feel like now when I interact with other people, I can sense immediately when they're not authentic or they're not vulnerable and it drives me nuts, especially with dating. I, just, I talked about this on my last podcast. I, when I just don't understand, like, I can't do small talk. Like, yeah, the weather's great, sir. Like, cool. But can you tell me, like, what makes you feel alive? What do you like to do, you know? So. Yep. So um, kind of, like, 
going off, uh, you were just talking about your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know that you have your blog and podcast and YouTube and everything. Um, what, like, what do you hope that other people get out of it? And also like, what do you get out of it? Like what, how, do, how is it like a healing mm. process? So what I get out of it through my YouTube videos, uh, I would say especially, is it allows me to just be myself without any sort of filter, without paying attention to the numbers. Um, Because I don't have very many subscribers. I have like 77, 78. Um, And for me at first, I was so caught up with, sorry for the background noise if you can hear that. For me at first, um, I was so caught up with numbers, like likes, views. And I put on, it's like almost, I took this mask off when I came back from onsite and I put it right back on. Um, and I started being someone that I was not. And very recently I just kind of wiped that away and I went, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. And if anything, people will be able to relate to me more because I'm being authentic. I'm not sitting there like scripting things and reading like Health, you know, mental health topic number one, and I'm just being me, you know. And even when I go back and edit my videos, it's interesting. I've de- like I've developed a lot of self love. My very recent journey has just been self love. I very purposely have not dated just because of that. Um, and when I edit, it's like I'll hear myself say things back, and I go, "Wow, how the heck did I come up with that? That's really cool." And so. It- <laughs> It, it helps me develop like more love for myself and how I'm growing. And I see how, you know, as I expand and grow, um, my channel might as well. So personally, that's how I benefit from it. Um, and then it also is cathartic to talk about things because I find that when I talk, I figure things out. Um, sometimes I don't have it figured out before I record. I'll just start talking and literally in the middle of recording, I go, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> So, um, and my podcast is a very different cadence. What I do is, um, I've, I purposely interview more men just because the stigma around mental health and vulnerability with men is so vast. It's so big. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's how that's a little different. I have a few females on there, um, up and coming, uh, but so far, that has been, I'm going to go, I want to break the barriers a little bit. And when I interview people on my podcast, I ask some pretty like deep questions that really get people thinking. I've had three people like shed tears already, not on, but you know, like not on purpose. I just ask questions that get to the root of things as opposed to just sitting there and interviewing. You know, I, I want, I want people listening to hear how they're feeling and what they're going through and how they overcame it. Um, Mm -hmm. And real people too, you know, not, not like celebrities or whatever. I'm just like, no, I want like my coach who helped me through my fitness journey. He's on there. My best friend from college who is in the LGBTQ community. That's huge. They suffer a lot with what they're going through. So I put that on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just wanted to be a conversation and people can hear my relationship with them too. So that's, you know, want them to know like it's okay it can be a casual chat um so from what I hope people gain from that is that they're not alone and that there are other people out there like them um and also the more prominent one is to heal just like that's the biggest one look back at your past and heal and go deep and dive within um I find that from the most people that I encounter 
they, they don't want to because it's scary. Or if they do, they just do it at a very surface level and then they retreat and go back to old habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I purposely pick people on my podcast that I know have been through that, you know, struggle and really push through it because um, it's not linear, you know, and it won't be. It's just a very real, more realistic approach to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, like healing process, um, but more kind of about you, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but um, so let's talk a little bit about like what what you do to kind of work on your like wellness and healing. Um, like what does that look like on a day to day basis? So I'll use my I'll use my most recent, um, I actually got COVID in January. So for me, my mental wellness thing just kicked in high, like high gear. So um, I have a routine now in the morning and the evening. Uh, In the morning, as soon as I get up, I meditate for about 10 minutes. I use Headspace. It's like the best app ever. Um, Sometimes I do more spiritually guided ones, you know, like, okay, center your chakras and, you know, but so I do that and then I make my bed right away. Um, when I went to onsite, they made us do that. And it just makes you feel like you've accomplished something, you know, and you're more productive. So I do that. And then I write down five things that I'm grateful for. Just generally, it can be in myself or, you know, something I experienced or had an aha moment about. Um, and then I do affirmations now. Um, I went to, not a lot of people know who this is, but I went to see Mary Morrissey a year ago. And she taught me, me and my mom went together and there's a power in affirming what you want in life and repeating it in a way that you already have it. So I do a lot of affirmations. Um, and then in the evening time, I straight up put my phone away an hour before I go to bed. Um, and I just read and journal. And sometimes if I have time, I'll do yoga or stretch just because I'm you know, big into fitness. And that's something that is important. And I'm getting, I'm going to be 30 in April. So I was like, I gotta, I was like, I gotta start stretching. I don't need anything to be pulled while I'm squatting. And this is not, um, this, and then uh, fitness for me is, is another way that I maintain my mental health. Um, it's like my own form of therapy, like actually through every breakup I've ever had, I, for some, I throw myself into that um, to better myself and for me, not anymore, but it used to be aesthetics. And for me, it's more just mental and how I feel. Um, and then on the weekends, when I have time, I'll go outside for a walk and get some sunshine, just put my AirPods in, go for a walk, listen to some music. I feel like connecting with nature is huge for me personally. Um, just makes me feel more connected to the earth and the world and less isolated. So that's been my, that's my mental wellness routine. As for healing, healing is like a whole different <laughs> thing. For me, that's not been linear. Um, I very recently, that breakup I went through, I lost someone that I, I loved, like really was super in love with. And sometimes things don't work out for a reason. But it was the hardest breakup I've ever had to heal from because I didn't dive to substances right away. I didn't go drinking with my friends the next day. I didn't jump onto a dating app. I just straight up dealt with my emotions. And this was someone I was in love with for like three years and only recently we started dating. And I saw this big future with him. And 
something, you know, just doesn't happen the way you want it to. And that healing process was intense. For about two months, I just allowed myself to be sad. And if I wanted to cry, I'd cry. If I was at work and feeling sad, I just very gracefully, like, excuse myself, go to the bathroom, cry it out and go, okay. And uh, very recently, I started doing this thing where I talk to myself in the mirror now. Um, I just kind of talk to myself and look myself in the eyes. I noticed that that was something that I hadn't been doing up until recently. Um, and I heal that inner child. I feel like inner child work is key because it's not me that's hurting. It's my inner child wound because of abandonment issues. So I talk to her and I'm like, hey, we're going to be okay. I got this. Like I got you almost reparenting myself. Um, so that is key in my healing journey as well. And then just talking, like if you have one person that you can just be authentically yourself with no filter and just tell them anything and everything you're thinking, um, just one person, you will be fine. Um, so I have like my best girlfriend, her name's Bobby. I called her right after I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm heartbroken and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm still healing from it. Um, it's not going to happen overnight because when you lose someone you love, this like you're mourning the future that you saw with them too. You're mourning all these things. And, and even actually just last night, like I was, I had been doing fine. I was doing okay. And all of a sudden something like a memory just hit me of us, you know, we used to go up to the mountains all the time. A memory hit me and I just cried. But it, it wasn't as intense as it used to be. It was like, okay, I'm recognizing that I'm missing him and that I'm feeling sad. And I'm going to allow myself to feel that way. And I'm not going to pick up my phone and distract myself. I'm just like, okay, this is how I feel. And I just journaled about it. Um, therapy also is very beneficial for me. I don't, it's weird. My own therapist told me, she was savvy. You don't have to see me routinely anymore. You can just come as needed. I go, okay. Um, Cause I just hit a point where I discovered my own ways of, of working through my emotions. Um, mm. But for healing, it's just, you got to get through the uncomfortable stuff and it's not mm. going to happen overnight. I'm going to, you're going to keep healing. Um, I still have PTSD triggers here and there, but I recognize them. I go, okay, I know what this is. And I, every day I'm still learning about myself and what triggers me. Um, so, yeah. It's all about that understanding who you are and what triggers you and what helps you. What are those protective factors and mm-hmm. how do you weave that into your day to day to stay yeah. healthy? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's never the same for, for everyone, right? Yeah, well, everybody is different. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, sometimes when people listen to other people's techniques or wellness routines and think, okay, she's doing this every day. I should too. I was like, no, you, everyone has their thing, you know, maybe art therapy is better for someone. I can't draw to save my life. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I am actually really glad that you um, said that. Cause that is so true. Like um, we, we talk a lot about like, mental wellness and like self-care routines and stuff like that. Um, and I actually run the self-care blog for one in five. Um, but like what you do every day is not going to work for me. I mean, maybe some of the things are going to look a little bit smaller, but like, um, you know, like I have a dog. So like in the morning I wake up, first thing I do is let him out. We go on a little walk and that's like my morning routine and Mm -hmm. other stuff too, obviously. But 
um, it's that's a really important point to make for anyone and everyone listening. Um, you know, you don't have to copy somebody else's routine, like find what works for you. So, yeah, exactly. It's whatever, whatever makes you feel at peace and at home within yourself, do that. And Mm -hmm. whatever makes you feel like your true self, just follow that light. Cause a lot of people tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Even your therapist. And I, there are times my therapist told me to do something. I went, nope, that doesn't work for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, just because it's an authority figure. I mean, obviously some, some of the things they say you should do, but if you notice yeah. that if it's not in congruence with who you are, um, then you don't have to listen. You know what I mean? Like it's ultimately it's your life. It's your mental health journey and it's your happiness on the line and your well-being. So you got to do what, what makes you feel like you in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And listening to that inner voice and, and being very, um, I don't know, being very open to what, what that feels like, what, what feels authentic to you. Yeah. And how do you incorporate in your life? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you're, yeah, as long as you're authentic to you, that's all that should matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. That authenticity. <laughs> yeah, authenticity is key. It's it's scary, but it's uh, to better your mental health is is what it's going to take. Um, you have to be yourself. You have to, and you may be scared to be yourself. You're like, who's going to accept this part of me? But ultimately, you have to accept that part of you. No one else is, you know, going to. As long as you're comfortable with all your parts, right. the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful that's what's going to get you going forward um, and into that momentum. And you may have days where you fall back into bad habits. I know I have a few times um, where I just didn't do my mental health routine at night. And I noticed a vast difference for me personally the next day. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay, it's okay. Like give yourself grace mm-hmm. um, and to know it's not going to be perfect every day. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're all human. Like <laughs> can't expect to, yeah. Is there anything that we missed that you, um, that you think um, we need to talk I'm about? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, the one thing I was going to ask, you talked a lot about, you know, advocating hmm. for mental, mental health. Um, yeah. Why is that so important to you to be an advocate? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like for me, it's important to be an advocate because I think about the people around me and the people that surround me in my day-to-day life. And I think about how many people hide their voice. Um, And I did for a very long time. So for me, if I can be a voice for the people that can't speak, um, that, that means the world to me, you know, that's why it's important to me. If at some point, you know, if something just helps someone, it saves their lives. That's yeah. That's all. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's um, uh, you and you don't know who you're going to help. You know, you just yeah. like I have to be real. I have to say it how I feel it, and hopefully, I'm going to help someone out there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is there anything that like you want to talk about? Like anything you want to promote, or, or I don't know. Promote is probably the wrong word, but uh, I would say so. Um, so very recently on my YouTube channel tried something different. Um, I now start doing my makeup while talking about a mental health topic. 
And I found, yeah, and I found that that's something unique that no one else does. So I'm doing that now. Um, so if you like watching makeup and you like mental health and you want to marry the two and just like listen and watch me do my makeup and be really hilarious and weird sometimes, um, please go watch it. Uh, I'm going to do that every other Monday. So I have mental Mondays already on my YouTube channel. Um, I used to do serial Saturdays, which is I talk about serial killers um, because I used to be a criminology major. Yeah. I did. I do fictional. Yeah, I do fictional serial killers because real ones are so oversaturated. So I did Norman Bates. I did John Doe from the movie Seven. Um, and then next up is going to be Hannibal. So that would be that's going to be yeah. interesting. Um, that's I, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I do something unique on my channel because I want to cater to different uh, audiences. So go mm-hmm. check that out. And my podcast, I have a really cool podcast coming out pretty soon. This will probably come out afterwards but um it's with a guy named brad davidson and for all the males listening out there he goes over masculinity and vulnerability and i think it's something that all men should listen to and you may really really resonate with it so yeah well i want to i want to thank you for being with us today and we learned so much and i really appreciate our discussion about vulnerability i um i really try to live that way every life every day and i really appreciate talking to somebody else that's in that space of course Um, course. I appreciate you guys having me it was such an honor to come on here and talk about my story and healing and all that thank you thank you so much for listening to learn more about this episode you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org we ask that you please subscribe rate read review or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape again i'm nancy and i'm kayla and we hope you'll join us next time you belong here we belong